back together again. We got a special guest in the show tonight. Very, very special guest. Episode 71. Yes. This is insane. <laughs> this is insane. It feels like we started the podcast just yesterday. We're celebrating two years this week. Amazing. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching or listening, we have Mr. Ben Clymer on the show. Indeed. Yes. Thank yeah, you for joining us. So good to have you. Yeah, it's, we it's, need that audio, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to toss that in there. Yeah, no, it's, post a, that it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. Happy to do it. Yeah. So we met just uh, a couple of weeks ago at yep. a, a GPHD event. Yeah. And uh, I'd seen you at several events before, but we had never gotten the opportunity to speak. And I walked up to Ben and I just go, hey, man, I'm a really big fan. And Ben goes, I'm a fan. And I'm like, there's no way this guy knows who I am. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was, it, was, it was so great to, to speak with you and connect you that evening. And, and I, I remember asking, I said, man, we should have you on the show sometime. And he goes, I'm free next Tuesday. Yeah. Wow. I was like, wow, that actually <laughs> pretty quickly. Uh, and, and here you are. Yeah. And, and, and we're glad to have you. So we're going to talk about a bunch of things yeah. uh, this morning, uh, namely what you've been up to recently. Mm. And we'll talk a little bit about Hodinkee. Sure. Uh, but before we get into all of that, we've got to have our honorary risk check, as is tradition. Yes. Um, naturally, uh, especially today, we have to start with a man who never repeats a watch, <laughs> Mr. Rashawn Smith. What are you wearing this morning, sir? Um, I have a special piece. Um, this one is the Silver Snoopy. The great one. 50th anniversary. Um, this watch is very special, not only because of, you know, the provenance of it, but this was a piece that was gifted to me from a really good friend. You got some great friends. Yeah. <laughs> I've never gotten a like that. Yeah. Yeah. You got some good friends. Continue. Um, I mean, really good friend. Um, and, you know, when it came into my collection, I couldn't stop looking at it, especially the animation on the back. Yeah. Um, you know, that part makes it really, really fun. Kind of brings the joy back in the watches. Um, you know, as we know, you know, there's the big key players in it, but Omega is one of those too. Of course, um, and especially challenging horology with, you know, the uh, the Silver Snoopy had to wear it. It's a hot piece, my man. It's great. You just wear it on your wrist upside down, from backwards, while Snoopy's <laughs> rocking for right. Yeah, just let the chronograph go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I guess continuing, I see, I see another Omega on the yeah, couch. Yeah, I too am ben, wearing what a, a Speedmaster. <laughs> Uh, this this is a little special. Ben's already he knows what I'm doing here. Okay. Uh, there's a bit of an emotional connection I feel for the both of us. Um, I'm wearing it. It's borrowed. I'm wearing it from my friend Aaron. It's Shout actually Aaron. the I've helped him find some pretty insane watches in the last two years or so. This was the first watch I helped him get. It's amazing. Mm. So there's a bit of an emotional connection there. And then when I told him that Ben was coming on the show, he was like, you have to wear it. I was like, <laughs> I, I, was like I texted you because I wanted to wear it. Amazing. Yeah. So this actually, as Ben knows very well, is kind of the watch that started Hodinky for him as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I feel like it was just, it had to happen. Yeah, and no, I appreciate that. That yeah. actually means a lot. So so that watch, is, as you may or may not know, so that's a, a Mark 40. My, so I both my parents were, you know, middle class, like public school teachers, truly, mm -hmm. you know, so I really didn't, did not grow up in a world of nice watches, nice cars, nice anything, really. Yeah. Um, but my grandfather was, uh, he was a Jewish immigrant. 
He made a little bit of money. He had two good. Wa- he had three good watches. He had a, a Patek Ellipse, which was gold on gold. Like at awesome. the time, it, it is awesome now. It was not one, you know, back then. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It, was, it was worth like twelve hundred bucks, you know. But um, that's crazy though, because those old Patek ads were like uh, the one it? Patek you can wear- Not even that. But it was like a wearable trust fund. Exactly. It was yeah. crazy. Definitely not. Uh, and then he had a, a gold day date because you got to right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That's what you do. And then he yes. had he had this watch, a yeah. Mark Forty, that he bought later in his life. He bought it probably in his seventies. He bought it from a dealer in North Carolina. And it was always like he was my hero because he had like done I, not that my parents didn't do anything, sure. but like had done something that like had a lasting impact in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. And like you know, go, I grew up in way upstate New York, Rochester. Mm-hmm. Like really, there was like th- like nice things didn't exist up there. Like if you saw a BMW three series around, you'd be like, oh my god, like yeah. what did this guy do to get yeah. that? You know. Yeah. Uh, and so my grandfather had this Omega, and he used to let me wear it every time I would see him. And then one day when I was 16, he just took it off his wrist and gave it to me. Wow. Uh, Stop asking me for it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And it was that watch. And, you know, that's the watch. I mean, you know, that was so beyond comprehension for me at the time. Uh, And that was the only nice watch I had for the longest time. But it's really the watch that that got me into it. And, you know, as I was just saying, I did this event with Omega on one day with the U.S. president and and the actor Andrew Garfield. And, like, you know, I begin every every speech or every conversation about Omega with that story because, like, it's real. And, like, without that particular mm-hmm. watch Houdinki doesn't exist my life doesn't exist the way that it does today mm. uh, so that, that's a good one I appreciate that Thank you. yes that's a good one yeah um, we'll save our guest of honor for last I'll go next uh, I'm wearing a new watch on the show it's not a new watch it's a watch I've had for a while I've never worn it on the show yeah, we obviously. spoke about this like a year ago <laughs> so I, I'm wearing a Patek it's a vintage uh, Patek Calatrava from their 90s complications uh, collection um, it's a 5054G. Um, I, I absolutely love this watch. This was one of, this was when I really began to understand Patek. Um, I saw it, it was the first time I held a watch and like I couldn't let go. Like I really stood there with it for like maybe 15 to 20 minutes. Mm. And everyone those around was kind of calling me out. I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Just, just figure out how to pull a trigger. Uh, at the time, it was um, a little out of reach, but, um, it's something that I, I worked really, really hard for, and I was able to to actualize this uh, last year. It's amazing. And uh, I really, really love this watch. I have uh, an affection for vintage, vintage uh, military memorabilia, clothing, etc. And it just kind of speaks to me. It's like it's an officer's case. It's got the open case back, uh, well, hunter's case back on the back, um, and it's kind of like this blend between uh, something that's like super utilitarian but also like very very refined the minute track uh it's got like this like radio minute track kind of almost looks like piano keys i love asymmetrical design this thing is just it's it's awesome it's uh i have like a a real emotional connection to this watch it's beautiful um you sir yeah the man of many watches yeah what are you wearing today uh so i mean me being me like i mean you you guys know this industry pretty well people get real uh really pissy real fast okay okay and so you know when you know people know that i've got some watches obviously and so i have a meeting today with cardio uh gotcha. to see their new boutique in mm-hmm. soho which is around the corner from from washington switzerland yep. there on green street and i'm excited to see it and so because of that and for many other reasons it's just another excuse to pull out an old Cartier, absolutely uh, <laughs> which is you know, i've had this watch for probably six seven years so this is a centre um a vintage centre from Cartier London. So Cartier mm. London, and stop me at any point if you know this or if it's not interesting. Cartier London in the in 1960s, late 60s, early 70s was kind of like 
quintessential Cartier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So John Goldberger, the great author, you know, he's been on our on our show a few times. Um, he's actually writing a book about Cartier London specifically in that period. It's it's the it's the era of Cartier that gave us the crash, right? right. Like mm -hmm. the, the most iconic watch. You get things that are really different than kind of pre-war Cartier, which was very elegant, you know, like platinum normals with bracelets yeah. and like really right. like very kind of yeah. like Gatsby style stuff. Yeah. In, in the late 60s and early 70s in London, you get some weirder shit. Mm -hmm. uh, this watch came from that. Um, this is, uh, we believe, unique Centre in yellow gold, but with a, a blue dial. Mm. Uh, it's super dark blue. I've, I found this watch. Black from the exactly. So there's actually a story with that. So it, I found this watch in Italy, whatever, six or seven years ago. And I, some guy offered it to me, and the price was like pretty reasonable. And I was like, it's for sure fake, like guaranteed, or at least fake dial, you know? And Cartier, as, as you probably know, like just tons of fake stuff out there. And if yeah. not fake, then like restored dials. And Cartier yeah. themselves were doing it. And I was like, it's just fake, like it's not. <laughs> but then, then I, show, I showed it to Goldberger, who, yeah. you know, is, knows, knows everything. Yeah. Think about Cartier. He's like, I think it's good. He's like, I think it's good. I'm like, okay. So the guy, it was coming to New York. I was like, bring it to New York. And, you know, one of the great benefits of uh, being in this industry long enough is you get to know people. Yeah. And I said, hey, person at Cartier, would you mind just like taking a look at this watch? Like just so I know. And like, look, it's a lot of money for anybody. Um, and so he's like, yeah, sure. Like just bring it by. And like nothing on the record, of yeah. course, because yeah. it's Cartier. And so we take it to Cartier here in New York and he opens it up and he's like, this is real. This wow. is hundred percent real. But it's like, and they look in the archives like, this is not black, it's blue. Oh. And so, you know, if you take the crystal off and you can kind of see it in like, not, not this light, but in like bright, bright sunlight, mm -hmm. you can see it. It is actually like a navy blue mm -hmm. uh, with gold applied numerals and yellow gold hands. Um, and, you know, I would say the scholarship says it's the only one ever made like this. Um, so I bought it, obviously, yeah, obviously. Um, <laughs> at that point. At that point. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's 1960, 1970 Cartier Centre, the midsize, which I think is, it's really like, it wears like a bracelet, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't yeah. even feel like a watch, mm -hmm. like it's yeah. just like a cuff. Um, and it's a really elegant watch that I've had for a long time. It's kind of part of part of the you know the the core collection, so to speak. Um, but it's quintessential Cartier, and I just think it's great. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so getting into things. Yeah. Um, I I came across an interview uh, that you had done years years ago, back in in the early days, and there was something that you said that really resonated with me. You were talking specifically about watches, of course. Yeah. And you said, it's not about having something that no one has. It's about having something that you can be proud of, something that has a story. Yeah, yeah. And it got me thinking that that's kind of what Hodinkee is today, in the sense that now, you know, fast forward to today, especially post-COVID, the watch media landscape is buzzing. Sure. Tons of new voices. Yeah. You guys are no longer the the only players on the field. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> For everybody, yeah. But 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 you're there, and, yeah. and you you guys have laid down a lot of the groundwork, uh, and, and sort of shown people, you know, not only what is possible, but how to do it and how to do it successfully and how to do it in, in a meaningful way. I appreciate it. Um, if we backtrack to when you first started, I, I'm curious about your mindset because. I understand you were working in finance. Yeah. You, you loved watches, but what was it when when you started this blog? Did you think people would read? What no. was your sort of your north star? What was your your guiding yeah principle? I I don't think I've ever shared this really, but like when I started Hodinkee around that watch, mm -hmm. really, and then shortly after, like early Pateks and some Mariners and mm -hmm. kind of the big big stuff, it wasn't for anybody but me. Okay. It was for me. Like I was working at a dead end job, like a literal dead end job. I was working at a at UBS, so Swiss company, mm -hmm. um, in the year that Lehman Brothers collapsed. I, yeah. was, I was a kid, I was 24. I was not a banker, so I wasn't making like a lot of money. I was just like a kind of middle, you know, middle manager, like back office, like project manager type yeah. stuff. So it wasn't like, there was no glamor there at all. 
And it just I just realized ever since my grandfather yeah. gave me that watch, since I saw his life evolve, mm. I always wanted to do my own thing. And I always kind of fancied myself a writer. Yeah. And the blog about watches was truly just practice and stuff that I enjoyed. And I think like it, to this day, I mean, like when, when I'm writing about something I really enjoy, I published a story yesterday on like my little trip to Geneva. Mm. And like, I think you can tell that like I really enjoyed my time there. And like yeah. I was happy to write. I would wake up early the past two days jet lag and and just bang out <laughs> bang out this, this content you know and so hodinki back then like the north star was was for me it wasn't yeah. for anybody else i never thought we'd make a yeah. dollar my ambition was to to make a pivot i knew that the job at ubs would end whether i liked it or yeah. not you know pretty soon uh, back then it was tough and i said look i want to make a pivot i want to be a writer like a full-on journalist and i'd always kind of fancied myself a good writer but nobody nobody else ever did you know and i was like all right i just want to get practice and yeah. so i i started blogging on hodinki about this watch and others and then i did some freelance work for like gq for um a site called askmen.com which mm, was really big yeah. like 15 years. it was actually the biggest men's focused site in the world yeah 10 15 years ago um you know they were paying me like you know 10 cents a word or something like that but it was like it was something and it was practice um so the north star for me was applying to journalism school oh wow. uh, okay. and uh and becoming a better writer uh, wow. and that's it and, and then you know as as <clears throat> the site which was on tumblr and the squarespace first started to get like five, 10, 20, 100, 200, a few thousand people a day, I started to feel really good about what we were doing. And I started to realize that there might be something here. But even when I went into, I, I did get into to grad school. When I got, when I started at school in 2009 or 10, like I didn't know that Hodinkee would exist post my graduation. Right. Yeah. You know, I like my, my mission. And I remember talking to, to my then girlfriend and my then girlfriend's brother, like the goal was to get into grad school. And that was it, Yeah. you know? So at, at what point did you decide to, you're doing Hodinkee, yep. get out of grad school. Yep. At what point do you decide that there's a business here? Yeah. The, the, I mean, A, when you cross a thousand users a day, yeah. that was like, that's like, I don't know a thousand people, you know, it's not like my mom and her friends sure. anymore, you know? Uh, so a thousand people a day was a big moment. And then, you know, and I, I said this in an interview that'll come out much after this, I'm sure there was a guy that a guy in a company that really believed in Hodinkee in our audience really early. I'm talking 2009, 2010. And that guy's name was Francois Benamias at AP. Oh, okay. So when he was the president of AP North America, and AP North America, like AP was nothing. I mean, like, you know, it was just like, like, okay, they did the thing with Jay-Z, which was right. big. Yeah. The They were starting to do more like hip hop and sports collaborations, but like AP was, it it just wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a tenth of what it is today, mm. truly, nor was Hodinkee for that matter. Yes. And Francois and a guy named Paul Lerner who who ran PR oh, for them. Paul, shout out to Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we love Paul. Paul. Yeah. He's, he's like, <laughs> we love Paul. Yes. So, so Paul invited me on my first press trip ever to AP, which, you know, just put me like really exposed me really fast to like real high-end watchmaking, which AP certainly is. And so Paul, uh, uh, a lovely woman there named Anne-Cécile Teveny um, and uh, Francois were like, okay, like this guy, like, you know, what's, a few grand to this fucking blogger, you know, a year, whatever. And right. like, they got banners on every, every page view for a year. Mm. I mean, like, just like, you know, just like maximum exposure. And with that, I would host an event at the AP boutique or whatever. Um, and so, you know, he wrote, I don't know what the check size was, but it was like enough for me to live. I live not too far from here, you know, in a, in a studio apartment that was probably 1100 bucks a month or mm -hmm. something like that. Like it allowed me to live um, and, and keep going. And so, you know, it was it was that moment that AP, and even though AP wasn't a big brand, it was still a very prestigious brand, right. one of the mm -hmm. Holy, you know, Holy Trinity or whatever. And I was like, all right, like if this guy sees something in me and if, if other people like him see something in me, then there might be something here. And then we started to get emails being like, hey, dude, like I just saw your your story on the whatever, Paul Newman, you know, mm -hmm. so-and-so at Antecorum. I bought that watch because of it. 
Wow. And that watch was probably sixty grand or seventy grand. I'm like, oh shit! Like you know, people are like so starting trends. They're gonna start giving you a cut. It, <laughs> <laughs> still, still, still sensitive today. Yeah, yeah. Um, imagine, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it was those moments that started to make me think that we had like a different audience. And like right. there was there was like things like this, as you know, like didn't didn't really exist in the same way that they mm-hmm. do today. The only other media out there in watch were there were the, the forums, which was Time Zone and Purist, which yep. was real insular, like inside baseball, like kind of roped off thing. Which like again, I'm from Rochester, New York. Like I don't that was not my world. You know, like those guys were serious collectors that were like in many cases doctors, lawyers, bankers. Like not not my thing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, they spoke inward, and I wanted to broadcast outward. Right. Like, no paywall, no anything. You don't have to sign up. You can read if you want. If you don't, that's fine, too. Um, and then, you know, the, the trade media revolution, which is still around. Watch yeah. time still around. Like, all those guys were there. But those guys back then were really uh, – how do I say this? They, they were really um, there to serve. You know, they were there to serve the industry. Yes. If IWC came out with a new World Timer or whatever, like, that was going to be on the cover of both mm. of those magazines. Yes. You know, and the, to buy those covers were – and which you could. You could buy the covers – um were, was really inexpensive and i was like this just doesn't i didn't even know they existed honestly right. and but then after that like they just didn't feel like the future at all like that mm-hmm. wasn't an authentic relationship with their audience whatsoever yeah. um but again i didn't know those guys existed so that was the best thing about Huninki was that it was just like my perspective on, on on things so i'm curious because you guys weren't alone at that time and the media yeah. uh, landscape looked incredibly different your, your voice was embraced very early on what do you attribute that to what 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 made you different from the rest of them yeah I, look I, I think you know as, as I love to talk about because I'm very proud of it like I look at everything no matter how much money I ever may make mm. through a middle-class mindset right. you know and so like both my parents were extremely middle class like you know I, I write the, the watches I wrote about in that Geneva report half of them are worth more than the house I grew up in, yeah. you know so like a very like matter-of-fact mindset of like hey this like you know this watch or that watch or these watches are amazing but it's still fucking crazy to spend this much money. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I'm, I'm the first person to say that, obviously. And so I think it was it was that. Like, right. just like, hey, like, you know, a diamond coverage is share, like, cool gyro, turbion, whatever, for, I don't know, like, $400,000 in 2008. It's just like, that. Like that's not cool to me at all. It wasn't like, and, and I was okay saying that, you know? Yeah. Mm. Meanwhile, uh, a Heritage Reverso is exceptionally cool to me, you know? And I think it was that, that approach of, like, a very... Um, Thoughtful, you know, air quotes, middle class mindset towards watchmaking, I right. think was really interesting. And then you said something at the beginning where it's like it wasn't about um, the money or anything. It was really about like the knowledge and understanding. And like if it right. means something to you, then then that that changes the entire equation. And like, mm-hmm. you know, that watch, not that right. one, but my, my version of it, like that's the most valuable thing to me by a factor of infinite. Right. It's like yeah. I would never like there's yeah. nothing that would ever happen in my life to make me sell that watch. Nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've got watches that are worth a lot at this point, but like it just doesn't matter. And I think. John Mayer actually said it well in a story about me. The New York Times wrote this profile on me like 10, 12 years ago where he said basically like the credential for watch collecting pre-Hodinkee was money, right? Yes, if you yes. can afford the thing, you're in, yeah, right? Yes. And then Hodinkee changed it to knowledge. And yeah. so it's like, okay, you, like I, you know, something that, that has been discussed a little bit is like I couldn't afford a Patek Philippe at all for the mm-hmm. longest time. So I would buy Universal Jeanette, vintage yeah. Universal Jeanette, sold by Henry Stern here mm-hmm. in New York, which is Patek now. Uh, you know, a lot of the same case makers, some of the same dial yep. makers. Yeah. Obviously, movements are not the same, but no. like, you know, you get a lot of the same vibe for a literal fraction. Uh, and so to me, like, I have a Universal Geneva that was owned by a guy named Henry Graves, who is a New York banker who yeah. made the super complication. And like that watch, like a, a Henry Graves owned Universal to me is far more, which I paid 2500 bucks for mm-hmm. in 2000, whatever, you know, is far more interesting to me than like some mega grand comp from, sure. from Patek or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, especially since you can't even use the graves. Top of the <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so it just it just changed things. It changed how yeah. pe- I think how people think about watches and how they connect with them. Mm. So, 
you're you're traveling yeah. you're, you're hosting events yeah um the blog is 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 catching on fire yeah you pivot realizing okay there might be something here what did it how did you recruit people to to join yeah uh and 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 buy into your your vision because it's one thing to do something as a passion project and then yeah. when it when when the business side comes along you realize oh shit now I'm responsible for yeah. like making money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, and that's a whole other thing. Yeah, people want to join. Yeah. I got to figure out how to pay them. What was that period? There, like? there was a few. There were a few moments there. So like you know, in in the excuse me, in the earliest days, like there was this new kind of like upswell of guys, young guys that wanted to write about watches. Included in there was Jason Heaton, Blake okay. Bettner. So Jason Heaton writes for us and others. Yep. Uh, Blake Bettner is now worn wound. Uh, Felix Schultz, um, I think is at Revolution, but has been around a little bit. Eric Wind, who you know well. Yep. Yes. I mean, Eric Wind was one of our earliest writers. He was, I think, a sophomore at Georgetown at the mm. time. All these guys. They said he kept uh, bugging you. He did. <laughs> Actually, he did, yeah. Um, unpaid writers for Hodinkee for fun, okay. you know? Yes. And so these guys were, I mean, at a certain point, we started to pay them, but, you know, not a lot, you know? So those guys were writing for us for free. Uh, and that, I, 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 like, I am not even though I do stuff like this all the time, like I am not a, a guy that wants to be in the limelight at all, mm. truly. Like I'm a very introverted, very quiet person. Like, you know, at my birthday party last year, which was my 40th, like I said, like, you know, if you knew me as a child, you would never guess there are videos of me all over the internet with like millions of views. Like that's just not me at right. all. And so I was just like, I don't want this to be the Ben show. I want this to be like a platform for other voices. So you get an Eric Wind who's hardcore vintage. Mm. You get a, a Jason Heaton who's hardcore adventure watch, whatever. And then of course, Jack and John and other people later. later. Um, but, you know, we started to make money as, as an ad-based business. Like, and again, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, media, like the, the hottest company in the world, uh, in New York, I should say, back then was Condé Nast, right? Like, right. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. that, yes. that yes. was like yes. where everybody dreamed yeah. of working, you yes. know? And that was based on ads. And so Houdinki was a mini Condé Nast in some ways. Like, we were selling ads and we were making money. We had an audience. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we launched Straps in 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, other stuff later. Um, but Houdinki had, like, it was a really nice little business that, that was mine. Like, I owned it, you know? And, uh, and then, of course, with straps came the introduction of John Mayer, right? And right. like John introduced himself over email to me and just said, hey, John Mayer here, like big fan. And I thought it was a joke. I thought you know, one of my friends was fucking with me. Um, <laughs> and he's like, just, just give me a call. And so we, we hopped on the phone. And, you know, John, as you may or may not know or have seen from the videos, like he's an incredibly thoughtful, insightful person. He, yeah. We're about the same age. He's a little bit older. But in a weird way, we had very similar lives and that we had like really atypical lives right like we're not going to a bank every day we're not a doctor lawyer whatever he's on the road doing music i'm on the road doing this yeah. and i was also the, not only the first young guy to really connect with him but i wasn't trying to sell him anything yeah. you know and like john's a wealthy guy he's been wealthy you know he's been releasing music since he was 18 years old yeah, so yes. like he's doing okay yes and at the time you know there were a lot of guys early vintage watch dealers that were really really i wouldn't say preying on him but like were were really like offering him a lot of shit yeah. all the time you yeah. know right. uh, and when you're young and have some money like it's fun to just yes. spend it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and, and I think the idea of just like a friend that wasn't trying to make money off of him was That's probably awesome. nice to him, you know? Yes. Um, and so then he came on as, a, as an unpaid contributor. And yeah. then, you know, some years later, you know, we did the first Talking Watches and then so on and so forth. But like mm. in 2014, we had a, a big company here in New York offer to buy the business, like the whole thing. And I would go in and like, you know, be like the watch guy slash e-commerce guy or whatever. And we had a signed deal to do that. Mm. And uh, it was at that time that a guy named Tony Fidel, who's the inventor of the iPod and iPhone, was uh, like a very smart person. Mm. Uh, he had sold his company to Google for like $3 billion, Nest, the thermostat. Um, he'd become a friend. He's like, dude, do not sell this business. He's uh, like, you know, like this thing is way too yeah. special. I've I'm seen glad you mentioned him too, because I, I, 
I wanted to talk about as well the because you know when you think Hodinkee, obviously we, everyone knows you. Sure. We think John. Sure. Um, but Tony Fidel is someone that I know had a, a great impression upon you yeah. and the business. Yeah. And I, I, I would love for you to expound upon that yeah. a little bit. So t Tony Fidel also exists with, with two other guys that are worth mentioning. One is Tony Conrad, who is a okay. venture capitalist uh, and a longtime board member at Hodinkee uh, at a place called True Ventures, and the guy named Kevin Rose. Kevin uh, was the founder of Dig.com, uh, you know, kind of a precursor to Reddit, um, and kind of Silicon Valley legend in, in some ways. And he, myself, and the two Tonys had become friendly just over watches. We did a video with Kevin Rose way back in the day. And... And Kevin had uh, something called Watchville. You know, he'd become really, oh, really, yeah, yeah, really, 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 really into watches. And, he, and Hodinkee was the source on there. And he's just like, wow, like the engagement on Hodinkee versus every, every other platform is like, you know, yeah, much higher. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, and so he's just like, dude, have you ever thought about like, you know, raising money and like bringing in some tech? Like back then it was just a blog. Like it was just writers. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, like, you know, whatever, maybe. And so then when I got the offer to sell, he and the two Tonys, um, we're like, let, let's put together a deal here where, you know, y you will still be Hodinkee. You will still be able to control Hodinkee and be a big part of its future. But there is some sec security for you. Like there, there's some some real backing, so to speak. Yeah. And before that, like, you know, Hodinkee, if I got hit by a bus you know, pre-2004, like it's over, you know, yeah. and it's also, <laughs> which, which is true. But it's also it's like, you know, I had no fucking money. You know, I had nothing, you yeah. know, and it's like every money, every dollar I made at Hodinkee went right back into Hodinkee. Like yeah. it was just like nothing you know yeah. and as i said like i don't you know my my parents are fine but like it's not like they've got you know if somebody god forbid gets sick or anything like that like i want to be able to help you know yeah. um and so you know we raised a little bit of money with true ventures google ventures tony fidel john mayer kevin rose kevin came in uh as, as ceo for a little bit actually in new york and you know we built out a tech team but it was it was those guys that really allowed me to think that it could be something bigger mm. um and look in, in the venture capital we raised five million dollars which is a lot of money don't get me wrong but like to a guy like you know, Tony Conrad, Tony Fidel, you know, those guys. Just a drop in the bucket. Kind of, yeah, you know, and yeah. like, to be clear, like it came from a fund. It, well, I mean, Tony Fidel invested personally, but like True Ventures was the lead and it came from a fund. And like, you know, you, you place, those type of guys place a lot of little bets, hoping that one of them hits. Yes. Yeah. And we were one of those little bets. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So now today, uh, Hodinkee is, you know, known globally. Yeah. I Something mean, like it really is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, you guys are like ubiquitous with like some of like the, the biggest names and and watches. Yeah. And um, I, I'm curious, you know, as like, especially post COVID, uh, watch media is exploding. Sure. There are so many more uh, diverse voices. Um, you know, you guys were the first in terms of making watches democratic, making it accessible. Yeah. How do you continue to carry on that tradition without alienating your core base? Yeah, that, that, that's a that's a great question, and I think like look, I, I am acutely aware of all any and all criticism of, of Houdinki, and look, I mean like again, like I I'm here to hear it always, you know, not necessarily here to hear it, but yeah. I mean, he's got something yeah, to say. Yeah. To say yeah. It's like the he's wheels are turning. Yeah. Um, but like uh, again, like I, I I I don't I don't take anything for granted sincerely, and so for us, it's a matter of expanding our our base because i think hodinkee is uniquely qualified to get more people excited about watches than anything else you know right. and so you know over the past few years you know so anyway just taking a step back so 2015 we raised our first money first amount of capital in 2020 we raised our second amount uh, our second round effective series b 
And in came LVMH, mm-hmm. big deal, obviously. Another group called TCG, Tom Brady came in, people like that. So like, you know, stakes have changed, so to speak. Right. Yes. And, and with that, I was like, okay, like now it's time to really like, Houdiki was big in the watch world, but it wasn't big. You know, if you look at like, I don't know, I mean, pick any, you know, pick uh, BuzzFeed or like uh, CNN.com, like mainstream websites, you're talking like tens of millions of viewers per month. Actually, sure. I'll give you a, a good analogy, golf.com, just because I know the guy, I'm a golfer. I know how many views they get. Like golf.com, which is like pretty dorky site, sees 10 million people a month. <laughs> wow. 10 wow. million people. Like if golf.com can get 10 million people, I was like, why can't we get 10 million? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, it turns out harder, harder than it is. The same thing because watches were too niche at the time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so we were like, all right. So we brought in a guy named Nick Marino who was running Edit. Um, and we said, like, let's really expand the base as much as possible and get as many people excited about watches as possible. When you do that, you, mm. you do alienate a lot of people that have been with you from the beginning because it's no longer like hardcore, like, Tell me the reference number on this and the you know right. the, the case dimensions on that. It's like, hey, like this would look cool with that sweater or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like there's nothing wrong with that. And like Hodinki, as I've said, has always been about being a platform for a lot of voices. Um, but with that, you do start to, I don't want to say alienate, but you do start to like, you know, not every story can be a banger for everybody all the time. Sure. That right. has always been the case, to be yes. clear. And and like one of the things that's so funny that like, we get criticized for watch spotting all the time, but like we've been doing this since 2008, yep. yes. since 2000, like Roger Federer, Jay-Z, Carnegie Hall was this reverse. So like we've been doing that since day one, you know? Yes. Um, and it's uh, people just like, they want to see what they, they see, what they want to see in some cases, but it was a conscious effort to expand the base. And, I, and I'm, I'm proud to say the numbers are bigger than they've ever been, yeah. but you get people that do not understand the history of not only Hodinkee, they think that we're the incumbents, like and like Hodinkee mm. is an incumbent brand. I did this this uh, uh, panel with uh, Business Fashion maybe a year ago, and it was called like incumbent brands versus challenger brands. And like Hodinkee to me is like the prototypical challenger brand. Like we're the young upstart, whatever. If you talk to a guy that got into watches today, they'd probably say we're the incumbents, which to yeah. me is like holy shit, like never, like never, yeah. you know. And yeah. I can tell you that I don't feel that way at all. And so for us, it's like finding the right balance of uh, expanding the base, so to mm. speak, like getting more people excited about watches than ever before, yeah. while uh, still doing things that like let you guys and guys who've been with us for a long time know that like we still care about you. Yeah. yeah. And it's really hard to do. And it's like it's no different than a GQ, you mm. know, who like used to be like a hardcore fashion magazine into what they are now with like celebrities on the cover yeah. or Vogue or, or whatever. It's not easy, uh, but but we're trying, and I think like my my involvement with this younger crop of editors, I think, is is to to get that in, in line. Yeah. That's awesome. What what steps have you guys taken behind the scenes to kind of expand the base, especially now because I mean the community is so diverse now. Yeah. yeah. And you just made a good point. These are younger editors now. Aside yeah. from that, what aren't we seeing that Hodinkee's doing? A lot. Uh, and so I mean, like historically, and this is going to sound ridiculous, uh, but like in 2015, we hired a woman editor. Which is like mm-hmm. okay, half the fucking world is, is female. Sure. Yeah. But like the fact, like back back then, so Cara Barrett, um, and just for full transparency, Cara is actually now my wife. So like you could say I, I really liked Shout her out a to lot. Ben's wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, but I mean, Cara was, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan. Obviously, she was a revelation because she had a fun, light female perspective on watches in 2015. Wow. And the New York Times actually wrote a story on her. The title of the story was said something like "Alone in a World of Watches." effectively the one female editor right mm-hmm. and so she did a great job and she's knowledgeable she came from Southeast Washington um, she did a great job expanding the base to include women or include just a different vantage point for mm-hmm. sure um, and then you know now we have a, a wonderful writer named Malika Crawford who you guys Shout may out know. To Malika. She's, she's awesome she's incredible I mean she's yeah. she's a godsend 
and we've had a lot of different uh we had jack who is certainly a world expert in in watch making yes and like that is not me to be clear like i'm not a watch making expert i mean watch collecting yes. i don't even want to say expert but that like that's what i love watch collecting and the world around it mm -hmm. jack is a watch making expert yeah. he has no idea what that's worth or what's this worth or anything like right. that right yes uh, so jack myself uh steven Bolverin, will holloway who does all the video work uh, Malika, Nora Taylor, Nick Marino, Danny Milton. Like we've had a wide mix of, of, of talent over the yeah. last few years. And like Danny Milton loves Rolex. He just does. Like I'm not going to try to, although I have tried to change him a little bit. Like, <laughs> he loves Rolex. If he wants to t talk about Rolex, go for it. You know, if James Stacy wants to write about, you know, flyer GMTs under $3,000, go for it, you know? And I think it, it's always about finding people that can connect with a, with a new audience for sure. Um, but I give a lot of credit to Nick Marino who led edit for, for about two years for us who's now at Sotheby's, mm -hmm. you know, he really did a great job trying new things. And I think like this world is so stuffy and, and so white and so rich and so everything that like Nick really challenged that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I will always respect him for it for sure. And when he came in, he said, look, like you guys have done a great job expanding the base already, yeah. but we want to take it to the next level. And that that's what he did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, he, he had something I, to I, I kind of wanted to kind of mention something. I don't know if this is, it, it, how you feel about this, but I, I look at you as like the godfather of watches. <laughs> um, that. You know, when you think of the godfather, this is the guy that just like is, just runs the show, he's the boss. Um, <laughs> I wish that was true. <laughs> it's I mean, really but, not. Yeah, yeah. When, <laughs> you, when, you, you know, when you speak of the company that you keep, yeah. the alums that have come across Hodinkee, um, the people that have worked for you, the people that you have worked with to yep. get to where you are, um, you know, still being very young in it, you're like the Michael Colleone because it's like, <laughs> He's so young, but he's like, I mean, you got Francois, you yeah. got Paul, like yeah. these guys are OGs, Correct. but they're looking to you like, hey, what's next? Yeah. E e I, I appreciate that, first <laughs> of all. It's, uh, anybody who thinks I have any amount of power in this industry is like woefully uh, wrong about that, I, I promise you. Um, Hodinki is still a small business, and I think uh, that's what people really lose. Like, to be clear, LVMH does not own us. They didn't buy us. Like, they're a minority investor like everybody else. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think it's like people view that because, like, when the Wall Street Journal wrote about us, it says LVMH invests in so-and-so. Like, it's just, it's really hard to separate that. And I get it. Like, mm. I, am a, I am a journalist. I get it. Like, you, you put the thing in the title that people are going to click on. Right. Yeah. Fair enough, you know. Uh, but we are still a small business. And it's, it's, it is still, like, this story is far from over. My story with it is far from over. And that's how I view everything. And, like, you know, the Francois who you know, is departing AP in, in 30 days or so. I don't know what he's doing next. I'm sure it'll be amazing. Mm. But th there's still so far to go. And like, it's guys like you and guys younger than all of us, honestly, that are going to shape the future. And like, I just want to be, I want to help them and be a part of it if, if I can. And I think Hodinkee, you know, even if, even if I were to step aside or anything like, like that, like it's still positioned with Jeff, our CEO and other people to continue to be that platform that helps drive the culture of watches. And like, you know, again, like the, the things that we're able to do now, like we did this video with John Mayer and Ed Sheeran, which is like, yeah. in, in my opinion, one of the best pieces of Internet content out there. You know, an hour long thing with two mega stars that like clearly love watches. Yes. Um, you know, nobody else can do that. And, you know, and like, I, I, I don't say that with any vanity at all. It's like we do that because like these guys have been fans of ours for a long time, right. you know. And we do that in a way like, and to be clear, like that video cost us a lot of money to produce, right? Like we didn't, like that wasn't a sponsored video. Like John mm -hmm. and I didn't pay for that, you know, like yeah. we paid for that. <laughs> and so, you know, flying all Ed's watches in from the UK, which is not cheap, um, you know, having John renting the studio, like we had a full like professional camera crew do that thing, you know? It is like, we do that for the greater good and we'll always do that for the greater good. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it's like, I think if there's one thing that I'm proud of or would want people to know, it's like, we do this stuff 
in service of the industry to get more people excited about it. And like the original John Mayer talking watches, which is the one that I still get stopped on the street about the most. Like I can't tell you how many people have said like that video got me into watches full stop. It really you know? did. 100%. It really did. I mean, I think about some of those early videos, the, the video with John Mayer, the interview with Praz. Yeah. I mean, I grew Two of up, them. Yeah. yeah, I grew yeah. up a Fuji's fan. I had never known that Praz was a, at that time a, a watch collector. Huge. Yeah. yeah it yeah. was like mind blowing to yeah. me. Um, you know, you guys have contributed a great deal to the industry, to the culture. What's it feel like now, you know, present day yeah. to look back at what you've accomplished, starting from a, a tumbler in a cubicle yeah. to employing a bunch of people, but also, you know, help kind of spreading the good word. You guys have created an avenue in the lane for many other people to jump in yeah. where they're doing something positive They're uh, you know, sharing their passions, encouraging people to join this hobby. What's that? What's that been like? Look, it's 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 mostly good. But I think like the, the thing that that I'm sure you guys are aware of is like people are fucking savage on this. Yeah. Right? And it's like, <laughs> and so, like truly, you know? better or worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and from 2018 to 2021, I removed Instagram from my phone. I was just like, and if you go back, you'll see there's a three year gap of, of at, you know, my Ben Climber, my, my personal page. And I was just like, I just don't need this. And like the, yeah. the, the, the mental, like, again, like I'm a fucking dorky dude from upstate New York. Like, I don't need people coming at me, like in a really personal way. Like, that's yeah. just like, first of all, we're talking about watches. Like anybody takes that seriously, like yeah. saying more about them than it is about I me. You know? <laughs> um, and I was just like, I, and I was going through some stuff personally. And I was just like, I'm just going to take a step back, not from Odinky, but like I, I stopped buying watches. I took myself off Instagram and I said, oh, like, wow. I just don't, don't need that, you know? Yeah. Uh, now I'm back in kind of a, in a healthier way in terms of my relationship with watches and just life in general, where like Instagram is going to be Instagram no matter what, you can't change that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say that like, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there, not necessarily around us, but around watches in particular. And it's just right. like, wow, this is like, we're talking about watches, here, yeah. you know, like if, if I tell a friend that's not in the space, like the, the type of like anger that exists about this stuff, they're like, what are you saying? Yeah. Like, like, this is not <laughs> politics. This is not religion. This is not something that really matters, you know? Yes. Uh, so it is absurd. And like, that's how I view it. So that that's grading. And I think when you get when we have young employees that join the company for the first time, like every comment on, on our site, I, I shouldn't say that every story has negativity in the comment section. That's part of it. It's fine. Yeah. People really struggle with that. And so it's up to me to kind of like show them the way of like kind of building yourself up to just like ignore it as if you're any politician or, or any religious leader or anything like you're going to get negativity. Yeah. Um, but I will say that the most invigorating thing and the most energizing thing for me was being in Switzerland last week right? because it's like I hadn't been there in that way in a long time. And uh, the amount of thanks and the amount of like gratitude that exists for Hodinkee and what we've done and continue to do is, is real and substantial. Awesome. And like that feels really good. And like like. Business has been hard over the past year, you know, like we've had to do layoffs, which mm -hmm. is public information. And, you know, it's like it's it's not like life is complex, you know, and, and business is complex. And so I think to, to know that there's still love for the brand out there um, in an authentic way feels really good. And I'm, I'm happy to say that we know there is. But like, it's just nice to be told that to your yeah. face, yeah. in particular in Switzerland. Like I, I get to see it in New York, not often, but I get to see it because I live here. But in Switzerland, which is still like a very foreign land, I don't speak French even after mm -hmm. 15 years. <laughs> I feel very American when I'm there. You know, yeah. like they just like have a different kind of swagger than I do. Yeah. Even though I try to emulate it, and it's um, it just feels good to hear it right from the horse's mouth that like we're helping the industry. Um, so it, it, I'm very proud of that, and will always be proud of that, no matter what happens. I think I think it's true. I think when you know you were you were out in Switzerland for GPHG. Yeah. And when you look at uh, some of whom they've invited to uh, to vote this year. Yeah and cast their ballots for watches, it says you can kind of see there, there is a shift that yeah. is that is continuing. And 
you know, for them to have, you know, our friend Bryn involved, yeah. uh, Daniela Dufour. Yeah. Um, Anish. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think it's incredible. And you were there uh, handing out an award to yeah. some friends of ours. Yeah. Uh, shout out to FX and Romaine yes. and Patrick. Yeah. We're going to yes, love yes, this, yes. but Great the people. most iconic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> delivering that award. So, I mean, as I said in my little report, I've, I've done the, the jury a few times before, but it's been six or seven years. That was the that was the award that I was probably most surprised by. And yeah. I, I don't mean it wasn't deserving. It was just like, you, you look at the iconic category and you've got the, the Freak, which ended up winning. Yep. Yes. You've got Show Part LUC, which is a great watch. You've got Hoyer Carrera, which in my opinion, like best redesign of the year. Yeah. Uh, IWC Ingenieur, like, like things that like you go out onto the street, people would like know, yeah, right? Yes. You know, it's like a Speedmaster Daytona Carrera. Like people know that stuff. Um, the Freak, I don't think is necessarily that. Mm -hmm. And so I was happy to give out that award because those, that's the category that probably spoke to me the most. Sure. Um, but I was surprised to see the yeah. UN get it. And I think that tells you the mindset of the jury, first of all. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of watchmakers on the jury. So there's Max Booser, yes. there's Vianney Halter, there's Naomi Ahida, you know, uh, there's Eve Luba. There's, there's quite a few people that like know how to make a watch. Yeah. And, you know, they're probably thinking like, wait a minute, like the Freak, as, as you guys I'm sure know, was a really foundational watch in the independent watch and kind of artisanal watch scene. The Carrera, not, right? The Carrera is more appealing to a guy like me or an Eric Wind or right, something yes, like that. Yes. Um, and so that was that was probably the most surprising award of the night, honestly, which was the one that we handed out on stage. Yeah. Uh, but it was great. And look, I mean, again, like the idea that there's me, whatever, but Bryn, you know, Bryn came out of nowhere and has mm -hmm. really helped push things forward, and I adore her. And I think it was a really strong signal to have. It, the, first of all, there are only three Americans on the jury this year. Yeah. Two of them were women. Yes. You know, Darren Schnipper, who's a legend, sold the Graves watch twice, you know, just icon me who's whatever and then Bryn who's young and and different you know yeah, yes. um, and so I love that there were a more than one American because when I've done in the past there were not mm -hmm. and the fact that the other two were women I think was, was a really nice nod as well yeah. yeah I know you had something so I was I was gonna ask um what's your take on um you know classic watches to contemporary watches because it seems like contemporary watches are now kind of like the thing, yeah. The you know, it's like the new shiny toy. Like yeah. everybody's trying to like make their watch as complicated as they possibly yeah. can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, that, that's true. I mean, like the, the rise of the independence, and I, I kind of mentioned it in this this story that I keep referencing. I'm only because I spent a lot of time on it. And we published it yesterday. I, I talk about in, like two independent watchmakers, Red Shepherd who's like the yeah. Prince of Geneva right now, yeah. yes. and uh, and uh, Simone Brett, Simon Brett, amazing uh, watch, amazing, yes. right? Yes. So. I have several friends in New York that you probably know that are subscription watch holders. So my friend Dusik, Christian, James, they're guys yeah, that are James around. Got one yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, these guys were so in love with this watch. Like, you know, when it's like your friends, like you got to go to this restaurant, it's the best fucking pizza you ever have. Whatever, <laughs> yeah. Like, right, yeah. whatever you know, like whatever you say, you know? Yeah. And that was kind of how me and I think a lot of people responded to their like overt enthusiasm for, for, for uh, Simone. Um, and then you see it and it's like, wow, like this really is that good. And yeah. I think like sometimes when things are successful or are really daringly good or daringly different there there is kind of like i don't want to say resentment but there's hesitation around it and and simone definitely on the jury had some people that were like like this watch can't be that good you know blah 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 but it, it really is mm. but I, I think there, there's a shift in i mean independent watchmaking five ten years ago was dead yes. i mean it was like yeah. nobody gave a shit like why would you mm. buy that instead of a rolex or, <laughs> right. like, just, yeah. know, or a patek you know yes now there's real appreciation and as like as you may have seen, like Alex Todd mentioned uh, Simon Brett and yeah. Kevin O'Leary mentioned Simon Brett. Like Ke yeah. uh, Simon Brett is like that, that company has, I think, three employees. Mm. They make 12 watches a year. Whoa. Right. So like this is not like yeah. EP or Pat Tech where it's like this is a brand like this is a dude basically. And to get mentions from people like that 
is is it's a huge deal. Well, that shows you as as you're inferring, like it shows you where the watch headspace is right now. It is on stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it's about can you get one, can you not? I'm, yeah. I'm happy to say in, in Simon's case, like he deserves the interest, like he deserves everyone mm-hmm. lusting for his product. There are a lot of other watchmakers out there that, that don't deserve that. You know, in, in many ways. Um, but there is a big shift. And like, you know, you know, Eric Wind, who I know is a friend and certainly a friend of mine, I was in his wedding. Um, you know, he's, you know, what did Esquire call him? The Vanguard of Vintage? Like, yeah, the he, million he, dollar he, dealer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Debatable there. But no, it's uh, love you, Eric. But it's uh, he's the guy on the vintage on the vintage side that's keeping that market alive because is. vintage is dead. I mean, yep. it has been dead. And I say that with no joy because vintage is what got me into it. I'm wearing a 50 year old watch right now. Um, but I, I think there's now, like, I think there's independence like Simone Brad and Rich F. Recci, uh, I'm sorry, Rich F. Recci, that's a hard name to say. Um, there's those stuff in Jorn and Langa and like high and stuff like that. And then there's vintage, which I, I think is starting to come back. I actually bought a vintage watch recently. Um, but I think the, the market that's starting to compress a little bit, which I think is really good is like the hype stuff mm. and, you know, AP, which obviously I love and I own many of like, the, the, a steel Royal Oak trading for above 100,000 never made sense. A steel no. 5711 trading for 100,000 never Crazy. made sense. Daytonas, Nautiluses, whatever, all kind of compressing. Like that is good for the industry and it's good yeah. for people like us. Yeah. Uh, so so I think that the worlds now that I think are most exciting are real independents, Recep, Recepi, Simone Brett, um, people at the very high end, Jorn, Langa, Paptec, AP, but not necessarily Nautiluses and Royal Oaks, mm-hmm. which are great, but you know we've seen them all. And then I do think, um, much to, to Eric's happiness, I think vintage will come back. Yes. And I, I've seen, I, I was in Geneva, as I've said about a thousand times, like I see the interest in vintage coming back. Yeah, sure. it's coming back big yeah. time. Um, handling so many watches over your career, I'm curious, do you still get that buzz, that sensation, that excitement when <laughs> handling a watch? Does it still hit you? It, it, it can. Okay. I, look, I mean, I, I've seen far too many watches sure. in my life. Like, it's, like, it's really like, it's not, it's not funny. Um, so it's like most of the time, no. You know, yeah. when I see new product from like a mediocre brand, it's like, oh, like you know, I, I, but I always respect that like there are people's lives, you know, there are yeah. jobs, there are people spend Absolutely. time on this. So sure. I respect the personal side of it. But you show me a Recep Recepi CC2, which mm-hmm. I talked about in the story, and I'm just like gobsmacked. You know, it's like yeah. every now and then you see stuff that is so good, they're just like, you know, just like, and you still so enjoy hard. the classics, right? Oh, I saw God, recently yeah. you posted the Le Mans Daytona. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, I mean, if I didn't have the Cartier meeting today, that's what I'd be wearing right yeah. now. So I, I got that watch two weeks ago. I was kind of hoping you'd yeah. come yeah. 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 This is good. We spoke about that earlier in the week. We were like, yo, I hope Ben wears a Le Mans. Dude, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 sometimes I carry one with me. I don't have it with me, but next time I'll, I'll bring it for sure. That, that watch is like, I'm still a fucking Rolex dork like anybody. Sure, and yeah. it's just yeah. like, I've owned a few Paul Newmans, don't own any now. Paul Newman, modern watch in precious metal, in gold with an open case back. It's just like, it is everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, you know, I was with the best watchmakers in the world last week and the greatest, greatest collectors in the world. That's the watch everyone wanted to see. That, that, that's it. You, know, you could be in a room. I was in a room full of probably six Roger Smiths, a few crazy Jorns. That's the watch that everyone wanted to yeah. see. Yeah. And that says so much about what Rolex is and how the, the mindset works. That watch, I'm fucking over the moon. Like, yeah. for sure. Uh, and then on the flip side, Recep Recepi, I got to visit Simon Brett the day after he won his GPHG award. That was pretty, pretty serious stuff. Pretty, pretty mind blowing. There's, there's a, there are three, three high end brands that I like collect, mm. and they would be Patek, when they call me, which is not often these days. <laughs> um, uh, AP, I love yep. AP, and like no, and not because I mean like Francois is great, not because of that, but like that helps. But the product is just amazing, and yes. you still get that kind of like fun, kind of like pop culture fuck you factor. Yes. Um, and uh, and Langa, 
And Langa, you don't get that, but you do get what I think is like just the best, highest quality stuff out there. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And like, you know, AP, and this is not a knock, and Petek, they use, Petek used that movement in probably seven other references. Of course. Yeah, 3712. Yes. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, AP uses the same movement in a ton of different references. Uh, Langa does not do that. Like every movement is made for that reference. I'm not yes. saying, okay, in yellow, gold, white, gold, sure, sure, yeah. but like yeah. one <laughs> watch has different, different one exactly. Yeah. And that wow. to me is like, when you really think about that, like how hard is it to make a movement? It's re there's a reason that Patek is still using these movements. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Lange does not do that. And then, then we really, and when you go visit them in Germany, you start to really understand what makes them different and they mm. really are different. Mm. Um, and that is just very compelling to me. And then I, I think some of them, as I've said many times, like if I weren't me, but you know, were me, if that makes any sense, I, Langa would be the watch that I think speaks to me the most. Is like if someone said, "Who are you as a watch brand?" I would say Langa. Wow. Um, and it's it's just it's real stuff. People who know know. There's very look. There's some bullshit around, but not, there's not a lot of bullshit there. You know, yeah. relative to the other brands, um, it's just great stuff. Yeah. I know you. There was a question you wanted to ask about uh, Rolex specifically. Yeah, right? you did an interview last year with Business Breakdowns. Mm. So we don't need to get into the nitty gritty of just the, the business side of it because yeah. they can go listen to the interview but yeah. being a rolex dork what was yeah. it like being one of the few people <laughs> to actually like see the factories and like get yeah. the inside scoop on a brand that everyone wants inside scoop that, on? that was a career moment for yeah. sure and like mm -hmm. as uh, this was we did it in 2014 i think i think we published it in 2015 so you know a while back now it's still a moment that i think of you know often because mm -hmm. all, all like at that point i'd already been to omega patek you know, everybody and rolex is different and they mm -hmm. just are and there, there's no i don't think anybody will be surprised to hear yeah. that but like everything they do is different the way they communicate is different the yeah. way that they make watches is different it is so beyond next level it, it just nothing i say will, will accurately yeah. portray what the experience was like or who they are as a brand it is i mean of, of all the the people i know in like the luxury world the journalists the editors the collectors whatever rolex has the most admiration by far yeah by mm -hmm. far and that's ahead of the Chanel's, Hermes, LV, uh, you know, Patek, insert yes. anybody, it's Rolex. And I think, wow. you know, if you, I did this video with Wilhelm Schmidt, the CEO of Langa, mm -hmm. uh, a few weeks ago, and he even said, like, you know, I, I have two Rolexes, you know? Yeah. Like, if the CEO <laughs> of Langa has two Rolexes, like, that, that says a lot. It was amazing, and, you know, my, my ambition one day would be to go back and, like, bring a video camera. Yeah. It'll probably never happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they they are so confidently uh number one in this space it's it's kind of amazing yeah it was um we when we had eric on the couch here we kind of asked him um is there anything that has ever come across his desk where he wasn't really sure about mm -hmm. and of course like you know you do a lot of watch coverage yeah. on watches that like kind of you scratch your head a bit yeah has there been anything that you've seen that you were like how did this ever exist? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot. And I think I, I did an interview with John Reardon over at Collectability a few years ago where I said, like, we really take seriously um, our role in the space. And, like, oh. just to be clear, like, when the New York Times covers something horrible happening, that's not an endorsement of that thing, right? right. And nobody views it that way. If we cover somebody, they're viewing it as an endorsement. And that, A, I don't think is fair to us, yes. honestly. Yeah. But B, like we, we have to take it really seriously. So it's like if we covered a watch that was kind of shitty or just like mediocre or didn't yeah. deserve the thing just because, just because, like everybody else does, like that, that again, is viewed as a tacit endorsement. So it, it is really challenging at times. I mean, I'll give you an example. This is pretty salient. We did a video with Adam Levine, right? The, oh, yeah. Uh, his Paul Newman is a real Paul Newman. It's yes. not a fake watch. Like what, no, no matter what people say on Instagram, uh, it had a replacement bezel on it. 
Like that shit happens all the time. All the time. You know, and for all we know, he has the real bezel in his in his yeah. in his drawer. You know, it's like it's not a thing. Yet somehow we, the platform, are at fault for 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 a watch having a aftermarket bezel. Like how how does that work? You know, and yeah. so I think like that has been a long frustrating experience for us and you know that resolved itself in, in a totally fine way mm-hmm. but as a platform how are we held liable for what what we're covering yeah uh so there have been many cases where it's like oh i don't i don't think we should do this you know yeah. and there are probably a lot of people that deserve coverage that didn't get it because we were probably too afraid or too conservative to to, to go out on a limb for them but again like you know i i don't you know it's we're in a really complicated position in the industry where everyone reads us and again all everything we do is viewed as an endorsement so like if we put a I don't know, make something up like a white dial Submariner, which was basically never made on the site. And we say this is a real watch or don't even say it's real or it's not. People view it as real. And therefore, yes, somebody will buy it. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then so and then we find out years later that that watch wasn't real or whatever. Like yeah. stuff, shit happens, especially in vintage Rolex. Yes. And all of a sudden we're at fault. You know, it's just like and that's the stuff that is really challenging. So to answer your question all the time, you know, all the time. And we have to be really careful about that. Because it's like, again, our coverage is viewed as, as an endorsement. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, it's, it's challenging. <laughs> it really is. I have one last question for yeah. you. Um, what are you looking forward to today now? As, as a person, to, as a watch person, or as a... At, with respect to Hodinkee, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, we talked about some of the challenges that you guys have faced this yeah. year. Um, and, but you, you, like you said, you are the challenger brand. So yeah. you're meeting these challenges. You're overcoming them. You've got to adjust. You've got to pivot. Um, you know, you guys are one of the best examples of, of content to commerce. What does the future lie for? What, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I, I think for me, it's like getting back to, to, to feeling good. And yeah. what I mean by that is like Hodinkee expanded to be a very large organization doing a lot of different things. And it made sense and it continues to make sense to be in pre-owned and, and do things here and there. But right. for me, it's about it's about doing things that feel really authentically good to me. I, I kind of like between my, my thumb and forefinger and uh, and doing stuff that 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 our uh, employees are proud. of. And I think like th- there's always like, OK, like who do you who do you really serve? Like you serve right. yourself, you serve your family. Like those things are obviously priorities. Mm-hmm. Then it's like the audience, the, the, the friends in the industry. But it's also like employees. Yeah. And I want to be really respectful of, of the employees that, that are with us and will continue to be the foundation of, of Hodinkee moving forward. So for me, it's about like kind of reconnecting with that. Like I, I stepped down as CEO of Hodinkee over three years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm still not CEO. I have no plans to be. Like that is we not have Jeff Fowler. Exactly. Right. Jeff Fowler is amazing. Like he's he's the best CEO Hodinkee's ever had. No question about okay. it. Um, that's not my greatest strength. My greatest strength is being part of this community and helping the editors craft stories and do stuff the kind of way that that we used to, and making stuff happen that. You know, frankly, no, nobody else can make happen. Like yeah. the Ed Sheeran, John Mayer thing, yep. getting Adam to come on. And like, we've got a lot more talking watches that are just, I think, going to change things. Um, but what I'm most excited about is kind of getting back involved, so to speak. Uh, not that I wasn't involved, but like it was, a, you know, I got married, had two kids over the yeah, past few yeah. years. Like life, life goes on, you know, and I'm entitled to that just like anybody is. It does kind of feel like now that you're, it feels like you're really like ingratiated in it. It feels like, you know, it's like Return of the Jedi a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like even the way that you carry yourself, yeah. and, and, and you know, we, we see you at these events and everything like that, and it's just like the the level of confidence that you have in because you know all of that has developed over time yeah. with trial and error yeah. and the success and even some of the failures. No doubt, it it, it 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 reads on you, and it's like okay, there's a level of certainty, a level of sureness, surety, yeah, um, that I'm able to walk into rooms with now because I know 
what my mission is. I, I appreciate that. And it's, uh, again, that like 10, 15 years ago, I never would have guessed that anybody would ever say that to me, honestly, but I appreciate it. I think for us, it's like, I, I know what makes us different. I yeah. know what makes us special. It's the audience. Yeah. The audience is so dedicated and so special and, and so um, real, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. And not that other audiences are not, but other audiences are not. And, if, you know, and, if, uh, and I'm not saying like, you know, other podcasts, other blogs, whatever, no, but like sure. there are people out there that claim to have a following and they're talking about their Instagram following. Yeah. Being honest, yes. by having 50,000 followers on Instagram, anybody can do, but like getting people to actually listen to what you're saying and believe it yeah. and be able That's to like, if, ball game. exactly. And it's also the idea, like, you know, being able to look like, let's say you made that watch yeah. and I want to be able to look you in the eye and give you like, you know, real feedback and do it as like grownups as men, you know? Yeah. And I think there's so many people that hide behind, uh, you know, user handles and whatever on Instagram and even on our own site that like those guys are not taken seriously by the industry. And like, no matter how many followers they have, that will always be true. Yep. You know, if you're not willing to put your name behind something, yes. then it's like, it's hard to validate that yeah. as, as yeah. a real thing. So, so we have the confidence. I have the confidence in knowing that the Hodinkee audience remains special, remains big, but more than that, it remains special and they trust us, you know? And so, you know, if somebody wants to get the word out about a new Omega or whatever, like we are absolutely that platform. We are the people that can, can make or break it, so to speak. Um, and so for us, it is about ensuring that that audience uh, grows up, so to speak. And mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't mean that like they need to grow up. It means that like they, their tastes evolve, their understanding evolves. And that's challenging from yeah. a content creation side because like I can say like, we can do a story on like, what's a watch movement? Like what's an automatic, you know, like something yeah. super one-on-one. Yeah. And then we can talk about Simone Brett and Tremblage versus Dragon Scales. And right. it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and <laughs> how do you, like those are really different conversations. But I think it's incumbent on us truly to be the the bearer of of all those conversations for yeah. sure. Well, Ben, I want to say um, thank you. Uh, sure. We yes. we appreciate you joining us this morning. Um, you know, Hodinkee for each of us, and I think I can speak for us when I say it, is uh, instrumental in thank you. us creating this podcast, um, carrying on the tradition that you guys laid forth. It means a lot. Um, it means a lot for us to have you here, man. I mean, uh, I know, you know, oftentimes I think the people that achieve a certain level of success or have accomplished something, it's because I had this, this conversation with our producer yeah. a few weeks back. You don't really see it when you're in it. Yeah. And it's hard to take a step back and appreciate all that you've done, Thank you. but you've done a lot. Thank yes. you. You really have. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to show for it in terms of the, how the community is changing, how the yeah. industry is changing, how's it growing, all the voices that are, are springing up. Um, thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Um, this has been another episode of Risk Check Pod, episode 71. Yes, yes. You know where to find us, riskcheckpod.com. Yes. Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok for the children, maybe the metaverse. Never. Uh, we, still, <laughs> we still got these watch cases available, our Wolf Collab. Uh, you can get it at our website, riskcheckpod.com. You can also go up to the Wind Up Shop, Wind Up Watch Shop. Yes. Uh, shout out to our guys, Zach Blake and Ricardo, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Peace. Peace.